getting good news out of the box. Last Sunday was Boxing Day, also related to St. Stephen's Day. Centuries ago, uh, there were alms boxes collecting donations for the poor in the narthex of churches. These were opened and distributed on Boxing Day. The Oxford English Dictionary notes allusions from the 1830s in Britain. It says, the first weekend after Christmas Day uh, observed as a holiday on which postmen, errand boys, and servants of various kinds expect to receive a Christmas box. It's Boxing Day. A diary entry from 1663 records it was customary for tradesmen to collect Christmas boxes of money or presents on the first weekday after Christmas as thanks for good service throughout the year. Probably before that, wealthy people sent their servants home for a day off with their families since the servants would have had to work on Christmas Day itself and these servants were given gifts and perhaps leftovers to take with them to share with their respective families. Isn't it interesting that the celebration of the birth of Jesus is associated so closely with a day marked by a tradition of generosity? Grace begets graciousness and generosity. Is this something that gets at the heart of what Christ came for? to spark love and giving and kindness that people want to share with others. On December 12th, my daughter Emily's family unboxed the gospel. They drove about an hour and a half from their village into Edmonton to one of the camps of homeless people in Edmonton. They passed out Bibles along with Christmas cards and Tim cards to those living in the homeless camps not a long-term solution for the predicament of the homeless people facing harsh winter conditions in a cold northern climate. It was hitting 40 below there in Alberta this past week. I've got three daughters in Alberta, so I kind of track the weather there now. But how would you like to be in one of those tarped things out there on the, uh, on the, on the slide? Uh, still, out, this was a well-meaning gift with the potential for someone to hear the good news about Jesus, along with a small gesture of tangible caring. Tom Rayner is a well-known church growth and revitalization consultant who has studied that topic for years and written many books. He customarily spoke about 150 times a year. Recently, I enjoyed a free ebook from his ministry called Anatomy of a Revived Pastor. Traits of pastors who have gone from discouraged to difference-making. Well, I was struck by the practical advice backed by experience and success of pastors whose churches have become healthy and thriving as they applied the gospel in their local context. Rayner concludes, In this post-COVID world, well, we're almost post-COVID hopefully, there is a lot of frustration and discouragement. Pastors are clearly among those who are frustrated and discouraged. But take a look again at these pastors who moved from discouragement to difference-making. The key characteristic was their outward focus. They shared their faith with intentionality. They developed relationships with the unchurched. They kept the focus on evangelism in their churches. Quote. In short, they were intentional about getting the good news out of the box. So today I'd like to examine with you whether these same principles apply to revived Christians 
not just revived pastors. As we look at the second letter of Apostle Peter, we'll see there's a lot of overlap. A growing Christian allows the Lord to flavor their relationships, resulting in outreach to the unchurched and practical expressions of love for those in their neighborhood. Peter's path of personal progress in piety. The scope of our passage, 2 Peter 1, 3-11, is vast. It goes from the past into the present and appears into the future. He starts out in the past. Verse 3b says, God called us by his own glory and goodness. You were picked, selected, called, and chosen. Not because you or I deserved it, but purely by his own glory and goodness. Because of God's own excellence, his loving nature, his sovereign choice and authority. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord for new birth and the Spirit's renewal. You who believe were picked. And you were powered and provided for. Verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The power that set the sun in place, the moon and planets in their orbits, that holds galaxies and atoms and molecules together, that keeps water flowing over Niagara Falls and winds to bring the elements That same power has provided everything you need for life and godliness. How? Through knowing him, having a relationship with your creator, redeemer, sustainer. Also from the past, we have been blessed with God's promises. Verse 4, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The Old Testament prophets foretold a suffering Savior who would rescue his people. In passages like Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, not to mention other passages from which the Jewish leaders could inform King Herod that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Following his resurrection, Jesus was able to go back through the Old Testament scriptures and explain to his disciples all these promises that pointed to him, which he had brought to fulfillment before their very eyes. The New Testament, in many ways, is a book of promises for Christ's followers, assurances that as we trust in Jesus, he will be present with us, indwelling us with his spirit, guiding us and teaching us what we need to know. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for no matter how many promises God has made in him, they are yes in Christ. Now Peter's passage passes from the past to the present, what the faithful in the church can be enjoying right now. For starters, we can be participating in God's very nature. This comes about through those precious promises as we begin to act on them. Verse 4. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The key word translated participate is the Greek koinonia, sharing, having in common. 
to come to participate in or exhibit and experience God's nature as his Holy Spirit indwells us and starts to transform us to be like Jesus. Romans 8.13 For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. By God's grace, we have already come to possess godly qualities. Uh, Verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What qualities do we possess? Peter has just gone through a list of eight qualities in verses 5 to 7. First is faith. 5a. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. The Christian journey starts with faith. Unless you believe Jesus suffered and died and rose again to pay for your sins and give you new righteous life, you can't share in what he's purchased for his people. 1 John 5, uh, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. When you hear the gospel and commit your life to Jesus, he will come into your life and start his renovation project. Second quality, Peter says, add to your faith goodness. Some translations put this virtue, in other words, moral power, moral energy, vigor of soul. The most basic table grace starts out, God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food. We said that one fairly regularly, I think, growing up too. If God were not good, he would not be worthy of worship, but instead would be some kind of monster. Let God's goodness infuse you, start to flavor your thinking and purposes. Goodness and virtue would be the opposite of the vile lifestyle of Jeffrey Epstein and Gisland Maxwell, architects of a lavish, me-centered, pleasure-driven pattern that plummeted to become parasitic on young women, a pyramid scheme that preyed on those already involved so they would in turn recruit other victims to satisfy selfish and perverted lust. Thankfully this week, a court brought justice to some of those victims. The third quality Peter mentions, faith and goodness, now knowledge. This means insight, understanding from the God who reveals his thoughts to humans. Now, Peter was writing during the early period of Gnosticism. These mystery cults purported that you needed to be let in on secret teachings, whereas in Christianity, the teachings were being proclaimed publicly. Jesus wants us to know his Father's will and Understand the big picture, God's will for us. John fifteen fifteen, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus is God's making known. He's the divine logos, the explanation. God unpacking and revealing his very nature to us. Fourth quality is self-control, also known as temperance, holding oneself in. It's the finely listed fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.23. 
Those mature Christian men qualified to be leaders in the church are described in Titus 1.8 thus, Rather, you must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Peter says to add to our self-control, perseverance, or patient endurance, as it is in the New Living Translation. Now, there is one you can't add in a hurry. Perseverance is developed slowly, repeatedly, over time. It doesn't come easily. James 1.3, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Peggy hmm. Noonan once said, The wisest words I ever heard on the subject of patience were from a born-again Christian whose husband was an agnostic. She loved and believed in Jesus, but her husband was in turn derisive and dismissive. A Christian friend gave her this advice, Don't talk to your husband about God. Talk to God about your husband. That takes patience and perseverance. Sixth, Peterless godliness. Godliness is related to reverence, respect, piety toward God. If you have a, a high regard for the Lord, you're conscious of him in everything you do. It profoundly affects your decisions. NIV Study Bible Commentary puts this, a genuine reverence toward God that governs one's attitude toward every aspect of life. Godliness is about. Can we say like Paul in Acts twenty four sixteen? So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Do we practice that momentary pause to submit our choices to God in spirit? So we're not just defaulting to our fleshly preferences and appetites. It's the pause before you click. Seventh, Peter says to add to our godliness, brotherly kindness. New Living Translation, brotherly affection. This is the Greek word from which Philadelphia gets its name. I know we're just after Christmas and you're probably all thinking about cream cheese, but no, Philadelphia, the city, the city of brotherly love. This can be described as warm-hearted affection toward all in the family of faith. His first letter, Peter admonished the church. Uh, 122. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. That describe our church. What can we do personally to make that more accurately describe our fellowship? What fences do we need to mend? Who do we need to invite over? Eighth and last in this list comes love, that is agape, not romantic love or affection for one's best bud, but love that sacrificially loves even those who seem unlovely, toward whom we have no natural affinity. Remember, it's agape love that's described in Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's agape love in John fifteen thirteen when Jesus says, greater love, or greater agape, literally, has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. How have you been a recipient of that kind of laying down life love? So Peter says we possess all those eight qualities, but it's not static, it's growing. Verse 5 
Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, etc., etc. Just keep on adding. It's continual. It never stops. You're never done. And out of this possessing qualities, we become productive. Verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Show me a person who's increasing in all those ways, bursting out in holiness, faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. I'll show you a person who's bound to be productive in their Christian walk. People will see they're onto something real, something very special. What's your source? How do they do that? And Peter points to the future, to a reward awaiting Jesus' followers who grow in these qualities. Note the promise in verses 10 and 11. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election, your being picked, sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A rich welcome. Not just a a welcome, as in, Oh, it's nice you showed up, but a rich welcome, as in, let's roll out the red carpet, make ready a banquet, give this guest the place of honor, let's really celebrate that they've come, which is what Jesus is getting at in Luke 15 with the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, a prodigal welcome, a a super positive reception. As Jesus described it in the illustration of the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25. And the king will say to those on his left, uh, sorry, those on his right, or on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Or as the psalmist expressed it in the context of God's priceless, unfailing love for those who know him, in Psalm 36, 8. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. That's a positive reception, the warmest welcome. Next section, a revived church of revitalized members. I mentioned at the outset Tom Rainer's book, Anatomy of Revised Pastor. Uh, Rainer mentions 15 lessons learned from pastors in reaching the unchurched. What stands out to me is that several of these 15 lessons relate to the eight qualities mentioned by the Apostle Peter. Let's just briefly touch on these. Lesson one, authenticity. Over nine out of ten of the pastors interviewed told us that their own personal integrity was a major factor in reaching the unchurched, Rainer says. The unchurched look at leaders just like anybody else does, said Sam P., a Methodist pastor from Texas. If they don't see authenticity in our own lives, how can they expect the church to be real? I would relate authenticity to Peter's number two, goodness, virtue, and number six, godliness. Lesson two, Tom Rainer calls the imperative of personal evangelism. A formerly unchurched man from Tampa, Florida, said, I thank God that my church sent people out to share Jesus with me. I thank God they were trained how to share the gospel with me. I thank God they loved me enough to be obedient to the Lord. 
I would relate this to Peter's number seven, brotherly kindness. If we don't care about the lost, if it makes no difference to us that they're bound for hell and eternity unless they receive Christ, we won't bother to share with them the good news about Jesus. Also related related to Peter's number seven, brotherly kindness, is Rainer's lesson three, relationships again. Rainer notes, more than eight out of ten of the pastors we interviewed indicated their keen awareness of the impact of reaching the unchurched through relationships. Such relationships are the result of the overflow of God's presence in a Christian's life. And we could add in here Rainer's lesson five, the pastor must model personal evangelism. The Louisiana pastor said bluntly, I think most church leaders are basically stupid about reaching the unchurched. You know what they need to do? Tell lost people about Jesus. Witness to them. I mean, what kind of idiot expects to reach lost people without telling them about Jesus? Kind indeed. Rainer's lesson four, an atmosphere of love and acceptance. He says, a Nevada pastor told us, the stories of hurting people who come to our church are incredible. We have no advertising budget, but people just keep coming. We do not compromise our beliefs whatsoever, but we do tell people over and over again that Jesus accepted them where they were, that he forgives sinners. I would fit this into Peter's quality number eight, agape love, an atmosphere of love and acceptance, welcoming hurting people, assuring them Jesus accepts them where they are. Rainer's Lesson 6, enthusiasm and joy are present in churches that reach the unchurched. I wasn't sure where to fit this into Peter's list, but maybe number one, faith, because trusting God brings enthusiasm and joy. Those also are multiplied when you see the gospel working in others' lives. An evangelical free church pastor told the researchers, it feeds on itself. A joyous church motivates people to invite the unchurched. When the unchurched are reached, the joy grows. It's a great cycle. Rainer's Lesson 7, do not compromise the essentials. He reports, we heard similar stories from over 60% of the pastors we interviewed. Not only does an unchallenging message fail to attract the unchurched, but we learned from the formerly unchurched that such an approach actually deters them from returning. The formerly unchurched are attracted to churches with a strong belief system. So I would slot this into Peter's number one, faith. Number four, self-control. There's discipline. And number six, godliness. Rainer's lesson eight and lesson 12 relate to Peter's number three, knowledge. Oops, got it back up there. Um, lesson eight, go back to lesson eight there, is have uh, small group opportunities available, small groups, life groups, we call them here. And lesson 12 is utilize a discover class to reach the unchurched, something like alpha, um, beginner's class, and so on. In both areas, there's opportunity for knowledge to be shared in a group setting. That's why small group, life group ministry is so important. The researchers found most church leaders agree that some type of small group organization must be in place both to reach and to assimilate the unchurched. They found there was a strong desire of the formerly unchurched 
to learn doctrine, to know more about the church, and to learn biblical issues, end quote. Now, there are several other lessons Rainer found that I would connect to Peter's quality eight, agape love. These are lesson nine, reaching people in crisis. Lesson 10, reaching the unchurched through quality child care. Lesson 11, focus evangelistic efforts on children and youth. And lesson 14, marketing tools alone are ineffective. So think of all the energy here in chapel as devoted to its VBS and airborne midweek children's program in the past. These programs are a huge amount of work involving a great sacrifice of volunteer time. Think of the coordination and commitment required to offer quality child care each week. The nursery coordinator, nursery volunteers and helpers, Sunday school teachers sign in and plan to protect training. It's a total package. This is why we're, we're beating the drum now for our January 17th plan to protect training and uh, it's our annual refresher, and also the police checks. We have about 18 people that have had their police checks within the last four years. Everybody else, it's longer than four years. And we had kind of a a time off during COVID because we weren't doing the programming, but we need to be getting back at it again. So uh, please, uh, uh, it's quite a simple process. You don't have to take it to the police station. I can do that. I just need to verify your photos and that sort of thing, and uh, get the form from you, and I can submit them in batch. Anyway, uh, quality child care is part of how a church shows love for its community. It must be love for the unchurched as well as those already attending that motivates our programming for children and youth. Tom Rainer comments, In my role as a church consultant, I tell church leaders that quality preschool and children's facilities are imperative. Bright and safe modern rooms with new furniture, equipment, and toys, along with unquestionable security features, are demanded by discerning parents today, including unchurched parents. And, he says, our our research team studies indicate that 81% of those who accept Christ do so before the age of 20. Whether this number is an indicator of receptivity to the gospel at a young age or the ineffectiveness of the church to reach adults, The case for focusing evangelistic resources on young people is compelling. I was contacted this week by a young mom with a relative newborn inquiring about child dedication. She said her New Year's resolution, even though she lives at some distance, is to attend in person twice a month and watch virtually twice a month. I'm thinking to myself, will we have nursery available when she shows up? Do we have enough volunteers? The promise we make as a congregation when children are dedicated is to to support these parents in nurturing the faith of their young ones. That takes sacrificial love. Rainer's lesson 13 is find an evangelistic leader. The team found four out of ten revived pastors we interviewed indicated that through an intentional process or by an unsought blessing, an evangelistic leader has emerged. I would connect that to Peter's quality one, faith. Who is the layperson that can be an evangelistic champion? Last lesson 15 that Tom Rainer heard from revived pastors was patience is required. Patience. That sounds like Peter's quality five, perseverance or endurance. Rainer writes, 
We rarely met or interviewed church leaders who said that becoming a revived pastor was easy. Yet those who remained faithful and persistent in their places of ministry told us about breakthroughs on some occasions and slow but steady growth at other times. Last section, eyes on the harvest. Peter sums up his list of qualities in verse 8 in the New Living Translation. The more you grow like this, the the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word behind productive has a root meaning fruitful. We want to bear fruit for Jesus as his Holy Spirit bears increasing fruit in our personal lives. We want others to come to know this same grace we are enjoying. Tom Rainer concludes, There was no magic formula these pastors used to have a different outlook and a renewed focus. They simply and obediently focused more on reaching others. The key word in all they did was intentionality. And since there is no magic formula, you too can make the move from discouragement to difference making. Remember how Jesus responded when he saw the masses of people without hope. Matthew 9, 36 to 38. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. That's it, Rainer says. That's the secret. Get into the harvest fields. Focus outwardly. Do so with intentionality you will influence lives eternally for good. And if you are discouraged, your attitude will change. You will become a difference maker. Let's pray. Lord, this is your church. We are your disciples. Thank you for calling us, providing for us, empowering us, giving us everything we need, including the privilege of sharing in your very nature. Make us increasingly productive and fruitful by means of these excellent qualities that reflect your glory and goodness. Grant that by our witness, other hungry souls may likewise taste your goodness. Lead us on together in brotherly affection. In Christ's name, amen.